0: Hey, what's up y'all? This is your girl Diamond and I wanted to do like a Halloween special (laughs) for y'all. So it was, you know, I wanted to find a, you know, I want to talk about horror movies, but I wanted to find one that was really close to my own personal heart and it's not that many, but this was one that I was like, okay, I'm going to do a show about this one. And Every time I would ask people like, oh, have you heard of Sleepaway Camp? Everybody would be like, no, what's that? (laughs) They were like, no, what's that? I was like, oh, it's an old movie from back in 83. Like, you've never heard of it? And I'm thinking that everybody would be like, yeah, but no, people didn't hear about it. And so I was like, well, I'm going to watch it. And then I'm going to go and see if anybody was talking about it. So I Googled and I found an amazing article. And so that person <laughs> who did the article, who had really, really thoughtful thoughts about what I was thinking, especially me coming from being a younger person watching it to, um, to an older person watching it that is an activist, that is a person who is in the community and see how culture has changed. This person had an amazing take and I wanted to bring her on the show. And that person is Harmony M. Colangelo. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited for you to be here. She is a writer who catalogs and discusses transgender representation in the media. And she co-hosts a podcast called The End. It, this Ends at Prom with her wife, BJ.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So BJ is a writer too.
1: Yes, she's been writing professionally for probably over 10 years. She's been writing since she was like 18 years old. Oh, and she just God. turned 30 this year.
0: Yes. I, love, I love that. I, love it. I used to want to be like a writer, but then
1: once I started writing, I was like, I don't really like writing. <laughs> it's exhausting. It is there, exhausting. There's, there, it is there's exhausting. a quote I really like that is, uh, I welcome writer's block with wide open arms because if I'm not writing, I'm happy. Right. And is, that's how I feel all the time.
0: It is super exhausted. I'll be like, this shit is crazy as fuck. <laughs> why, mm-hmm. why is it giving me this energy? Why is, why is it taking me this long to focus? And I feel like every time I try to write, I feel like I got some A- ADD or something like that. I'm like, oh, this shit is crazy. No, no thanks.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's how I am usually. I think I've written like three things in the last six months because it's just, it's too much with how everything is in 2020.
0: Exactly. So the the movie that I wanted to bring Harmony on to talk about is called Sleepaway Camp. It was released in 1983 in America. It was called Sleepaway Camp, but actually in the UK it was called Nightmare Vacation. It is a classic slasher horror film that was written and directed by Robert um, Hiltzik. It tells the story of a young girl sent to summer camp that becomes the site of a series of murders shortly after she arrives. It stars um, Felissa Rose. I want to kind of explain what a slasher film is before we go into the discussion. Just Uh a little bit. A slasher film is a typical type of horror film. It kind of steers to a particular type of formula. So there has been some type of past wrong action that has happened, and it caused some type of trauma to a person. Uh And that person becomes this kind of killer, and it reinforces it. it. It reinforces something. Something happens probably years later that makes this come out of that trauma yes. in that in that um, in that killer. So another yes. thing is usually built around as far as the visual of a film is usually built around like the stalk and murder kind of sequences. They like stalk the prey. Like you see the camera, see the person behind a, you're like, it it seems like the camera is behind a bush and they're looking at a person and then boom, boom, they start killing. Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Another common trope that happens in slasher films, and this one was no different. um, There's usually like a young woman, sometimes a young man, but usually like a young woman who is at the end facing the killer by herself? She usually shy, timid, maybe virginal, and she's amongst mm-hmm. a bunch of um horny sex, sex riddle, <laughs> sexually active teens or sexually active young adults. And she's the nice, demure, nice one that comes out at the heroine at the end. One of the, one of the Perfect ones is Halloween, um, Laura Stroll, Jamie Lee Curtis' um, character. She's one of the ones who definitely fits that kind of trope. Um, yes.
1: And that trope is uh, commonly referred to as the final girl because she is the final girl left standing. Left standing. And <laughs> it's used as a device to get sympathy because moviegoers are much more likely to be sympathetic towards a, you know, quote unquote, frail woman who's fleeing a murderous killer than a you know, a male, because they seem like they're going to put up more of a fight. Exactly. According to most movie-going audiences.
0: Exactly. So there's a lot of films that, um, usually slasher films follow the villain, kind of like the villain's continuous efforts to kill. Like, rather than follow, like, the individual victims, they usually are following the killer. Yes. Um, For example, like, Chucky, Jason, Freddy Krueger. We just mentioned Michael Myers. Leatherface one of the films that kind of went out of that realm was scream that was really really yes. popular but scream followed the victim
1: Lee mm-hmm.
0: Prescott followed the victim and then after each mo- in each movie you find out like a like a movie version of Scooby-Doo. You find out the villain <laughs> at the end. Who is the ghost face at the end? That's one of the films that kind of deviated from the typical norm that kind of broke the rule that was popular. So yeah, this this story in Sleepaway Camp does not deviate from that old school trope other than what happens at the end.
1: So, yes, it follows a very standard formula for mm-hmm. this genre in particular. It's basically a... Friday the 13th rip-off in, in, the, in its way. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. So let's describe the film. So let's describe the film. What starts off, what, what, you start to, what you start to see, the beginning sequence is the camera is panning and you learn that uh, Camp, Camp Akawak?
1: Camp Arawak.
0: Arawak. It has closed and then you go, to, then it goes to a sequence where you see a father and his two children, a boy and a girl, who are on a boat, out on a lake, and they're swimming. While they're out and having fun and swimming in the lake, these irresponsible teens, and I wanted to make it really, really clear, like this is early 80s, and so even tropes about women that we would kind of deem sexist now. They really love to sell back in these movies because if you were in that scene with the girl, the young girl, she's being that typical, let me seduce this responsible young man into letting me drive the (laughs) boat.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, the thing with slasher films is that the, you know, victims of the slasher, they're not really designed to be deep characters because they're really just blood to be spilled for the sake of the film. Right. And what, what this movie actually does really well is there are defined characteristics of a lot of the victims, which I really like.
0: Yeah. So one of the girls is, there's a boat that's driving around the lake, and there's, it's a girl and a guy, and then there's a girl on the back of it who is on some skis, some skis where they're pulling her. And so... <laughs> She's kind of scared, the one who's getting pulled she's kind of scared, but the the girl who's in the boat convinces the guy to let her drive the boat. unfortunately, um she drives into the family that is in the lake, floating for um swimming for recreation, and uh-huh. so in that moment, she kills one of the kids and the father, yes, so. The movie fast forwards eight years and there is you come into this house and there is a mother, weird as fuck. She's weird the mother oh, She
1: weird. is a suburban nightmare. <laughs> I
0: love her. It's funny because when you hear her talk, it's like so characterized and so deep in character for that lady to be in that I'm like This can't be a realistic person. (laughs) But it makes it even more creepy that she's like that. Because she's like a weird, suburban-ass, fucking, just a creepy-ass mom. Like, ooh, you're creepy as fuck.
1: Yes, she, like, asks herself questions and, like, looks off into the distance afterwards. Like, she's so weird, and I love everything about it.
0: So she, so she is getting her two children. One is her son, and one is the daughter that survived the eight year, um, the eight year ago accident. So she uh-huh. is the auntie that got custody of the daughter who survived the accident. Yes. So, when she, in in this sequence, she is getting them prepared to go. To sleep away camp to go to camp and she 's sending her daughter Angela and her her really her niece um, and her son and they go yes. to they go to the camp upon entering the camp. you know automatically that you are entering a camp with hot and horny teenagers because one of the dudes <laughs> is talking about a girl who, I guess last summer, she didn't have breasts, but over the years, she done grabbed a a girl named Judy. (laughs) She got- Oh, Judy. Oh, Judy. Oh, Judy. And you started to see that it give you the camp atmosphere. It's it's all kinds of kids running around. And then another scene that was kind of interesting to me that I didn't notice when I was younger um, was the scene of the dude standing around looking at the kids, the cooks. Mm-hmm. and they were looking at the kids and the dude was saying that creepy pedophile stuff about mm, the, kid, the guy in the white um yep he's he just saying all kind of creepy open out in the air in front of everybody just really creepy like they can't be too young look at oh kids. yeah he's a
1: super dirtbag super and dirtbag. I've heard guys say stuff like this, like, in my life, where they'll have phrases like, oh, if there's no grass on the field, you roll her over and play in the mud. And it's that kind of disgusting behavior. And, oh, I am so glad he gets what's coming to him.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So it's really creepy. It's really gross. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, I don't know if that would fly in a film now, unless it was, like, really, really intentional. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It just seems... It was too obvious for it to it usually if I see some creep like that, they're not saying it publicly in in the film. It's usually kind of yeah kind of hidden where they you hear them thinking it or you hear them talking about it in secret, but he was amongst the staff other staff members saying it at a kids' camp. It just seemed like that would be super inappropriate currently in a film. do you think so?
1: uh I think so, but. I think when you write dialogue like this, an important thing to do is just like, this guy's not sympathetic. So since he's being absolutely like disgusting and terrible, then it makes sense because he's going to, he's going to suffer for it because that's yeah. what the whole point of a slasher film and especially this one does so i think depending on how the film is framed you could still do stuff like that as long as it's not like oh but i mean he said gross pedophile stuff but he's not a bad guy it's like no he's a bad guy let's just let's let's call us let's call it a call what we call it he's a bad guy
0: so you start to see them interacting with people angela is not just quiet she wasn't talking like, in the beginning no, of the not family, at all, she wasn't talking, period. No words coming. People would say something to her, and no words would come out of her mouth. She would just look at them. She would respond in where you knew she was alive, <laughs> but she wouldn't say <laughs> any words at all. And so that started her on this, I don't want to say journey, but um, that started her on this where she was kind of a target for a lot of people to bully her. And her cousin, oh, Ricky, yeah. her cousin, Ricky, kind of stepped up to the plate and um would say just leave her alone she's just quiet she's just shy but the girls the dudes it doesn't matter there was tons of people who were just trying to bully her
1: oh yeah and i don't know how it is for anybody else out there but like in my experience junior high kids like the 12 to 14 year olds are the most like sociopathic evil kids on the planet so, like Ricky is a really good cousin. He's like looking out for Angela, and I'd imagine he's probably had to do this at like school and stuff. Right. So like I love Ricky, he's doing all the right things, but oh my God, all of the kids at this camp are awful. Most yeah. of the counselors, except for uh, Ronnie, who is like the really buff one, who's wearing way too shite of short tight shorts and a really tight crop crop top. I love Ronnie, he with the exception of him and Ricky, everyone else in this movie is a really bad person. Well, the girl, too, the one that smacks Judy. Uh, is that, what is that, Meg, I think? No,
0: Meg is the mean one.
1: Okay, I don't remember, there's the, but. Um,
0: there's another one that smacks Judy for when she was fucking with, um, when she was messing with um, her in the room. She smacks Okay. Her. She's one of the other camp members. Um, other I think the, she's, um, other she's than probably
1: her. the one who makes it to the end, I would assume. Yes whose name I don't know offhand. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha.
0: (laughs) So this is when the killing starts. So she is, um, she's in the, um, she isn't eating. So she's being really weird, not just just shy, but just weird, not talking, not eating, just, you know, being this person. That's what Angela's doing. And so Mm -hmm. one of the counselors, gets another one of the head counselors to come and take her to the kitchen to see if she can find something that she might want to eat and so when she goes back there they put her in the hands of the creepy cook guy and so in that moment he tries to you know attempt to molest her trigger woman i'm sorry um tries to attempt to molest her and you know her cousin comes in, her cousin Ricky comes in and saves her. So this is the first person that tries to do something to her. And mm-hmm. ends up, what ends up happening is the killer, you don't know who it is, <laughs> but the killer pours boiling hot water on this creepy pedophile Pedophile guy, and you get to see as as, as a horror film shows you, you get to see all the skin bubbling on him. He's screaming, uh-huh. his hands. It was so cool, and you know you get that kind of ventral <laughs> feeling. Like, yes, it's fucking creep. <laughs> this is what <laughs> <have> it
1: <laughs> it's a really good effect, and I mean, I guess spoilers for anyone else, but yeah. this guy actually doesn't die, unlike pretty much everyone else in this film. That you know is a victim. And yes. I kind of love that more because it means he has to like live and suffer with and, that.
0: And see, and see himself all burnt up. <laughs> yeah. Up. Yeah, I love uh, I, I kind of love
1: that so much more.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, it goes on to um, multiple people get killed. I mean, you go to the guy who was bullying. There's a group of guys that's bullying her. She end up, um, Drowning one guy in a boat. Uh-huh. She ends up, um, One there's a main, um, I don't, what, what would you call her? What would you call Judy? She's like a,
1: she's a villain too. <sighs> Judy is, she's, she's clearly like the meanest girl here. She's, she's like the- yeah, she's like um, Rachel McAdams in Mean Girls. She's yeah. like the queen bee of mean girls yeah. at this camp because yeah. she's the, the prettiest one with, like, the boobs that grew over the year, and now she's, like, just, you know, king shit, basically.
0: Exactly. She actually... she went, Apparently, last year, she didn't have any boobs, and this year, she does. She's getting all the guys' attention. Um, she's a mean girl, and, you know, one of the people that she is bothering is... Well, the initial bother I felt like Winter Collum was being creepy because remember she was sitting on that bed just staring at her. I was like, Uh "Mm." (laughs) I was like, I would be like, what are you looking at too? (laughs) Because she was just staring at her, being creepy. But one of the scenes is Angela is sitting on her new um, camp bed and she's just staring at this mean pretty girl and she's just staring at her while she does her hair and she just like just creepily staring at, her, staring at her in Indian style and the and Judy was like the mean girl was like girl what are you looking at what
1: <laughs> yeah Angela's just time, very awkward
0: <laughs> yeah she was very awkward but at that time she hadn't really done anything mean mean girl to her but further along in the movie she um you know there's a guy that likes Angela that gets Angela to talk So Mm -hmm. he gets he's nice to her, and he gets Angela to talk, and she sees this, and so she's getting jealous. Even though she's getting all the boy's attention, oh, my God, this weird girl is getting this other boy that I probably don't even like (laughs) attention. Yeah. So now I got to jump in and try to make her look bad. So she started pointing out how creepy Angela is and trying to win the affections of him. So her murder... So somebody ended up killing um, Judy too. Um, so in the in the process and how they kill her, like if there's an implication that they that they kill her by sticking um, some curling irons in her. I didn't get that the insertion. I got hold the, um, the pillow. I didn't get the. I see a lot of people saying that, but I'm like visually, I didn't get that. How did you get? It?
1: I think that the uh the hot curling iron just inserted straight into her is really more <laughs> of a uh, It's for one thing, it's like a really great shot because you don't see it, you just see the shadow of it, and it makes you go, "Oh, and it's just so much more cringy that way because you just it, your mind goes to the exact visual and it's very unpleasant. but um, she actually dies from being smothered by the pillow. The curling iron is really just like insult to injury. It's really Definitely. just driving a point home.
0: Just the harm, just the burn, just the us. Uh, and she's the more um, slutty. She's the more yes, slutty I... character. So violating her in this sexual way. Because one, also one of the tropes of these type of horror films is to punish you for your sexuality. That's one of the, yes. like if you if you any any kind of slutty person, any kind of um overly sexual person is going to be the one who gets the brunt of the harm and so implying that you, that you get something stuck into her <laughs> that's burning and you that's even more of a um punishment because you're the slut on the campus
1: <laughs> yeah That's with slasher films. Usually, you get punished for like sex, or if you're drinking, or doing drugs, or just any kind of thing that deviates from like 1950s American morality. You get punished for it.
0: Exactly, and this is the time that we were coming in because this is the early 80s. So you know, we're it's coming into that freedom, but it hasn't just got there yet. (laughs) hasn't got there at all. So what's happening is that you don't know who is killing, and the implication is one of the the head camp leader thinks that it is Ricky, because every person yes. that um, every person that is being murdered is somebody who messes with Angela. and so mm-hmm. Angela being the shy, timid one, but Ricky being the aggressive, they think it's Ricky doing it.
1: Yes, so- because Ricky has already shown that he's willing to like fight for her because he gets into fights with other boys just at camp defending her. So yeah. it's like oh well clearly he's taking it to the next step because he's like a little sociopath but right but no no that's not what's happening
0: that's not what's happening so by the end of the film what happens is everybody now it's starting to be too much murders and everybody is like damn like something's going on there's like some kind of uh-huh. serial killer on the loose and so they call the cops and the cops are searching everybody is certain searching, searching for people safe she end up killing a girl in a um one of the, the killer ends up killing the girl in the shower, end up yes. shooting an arrow through one of the um, people's throats. It's just more people die. And so eventually uh-huh. they finally run into Angela with the guy that was that was being nice to her. They end up dealing with the slutty girl. That end up, you know, at the end, you see Angela on the beach rubbing his head. And when the camera pans his head rolls because it's Mm -hmm. been cut off and she stands up and it is revealed it pans down and it is revealed that she has a penis so she is I have a shirt on (laughs) that has Angela's face at the end and it says mood I love this shirt I got this shirt made a while ago but I wanted to wear it for the show with
1: you I don't know if you'll be able to see, but I've got one on my back of Angela from the end of that movie that says, Fuck Gender roles." (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) So I love it, love it, love it. So this is her face at the end. You see her face and the camera pans down and she has a penis. So what ends up happening is you get a flashback to, in the movie, you get a flashback to when she came to her auntie's house, the weird suburban auntie. And it tells it reveals two things that it reveals at the end is that her father was gay, had a gay relationship. And it reveals that her aunt actually got the son. So in the bo- during the boat ride, during the boat accident, it was the father and the daughter who was killed and the auntie, the weird auntie got the son, but because she already had a boy, Ricky she wanted to raise a girl, and so she raised her when she got her as a girl yes, and so that was the reveal, you see the new body you see all of this kind of stuff you're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101 now listen, I know that what is basic Trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic (laughs) hand. What's basic for me in this life could be just the beginning for you. what's up so this is the last episode before the election <laughs> so excited whether donald trump or joe biden gets sworn in as a president in january the composition of the senate is what will shape what they can accomplish so it's quite important that we vote for our local elections as well not just the presidential election Republicans and Democrats have settled into the final weeks of a high stakes fight for two years of Senate control. The party that wins the majority will not only dictate what policies the president can pass on issues from health care to taxes, to climate change. The Equality Act that we care about as trans folks, the Breathe Act that we should care about as trans black folks but also play a role in who the president puts on federal courts as we have learned with this amy coney barrett situation got to have that control or we're gonna have people like her mediocre sorry ass with no experience being placed on the courts for a lifetime appointment talk about white motherfucking privilege child Currently, the GOP holds a 53-47 advantage in the Senate. The party has to defend 23 seats this year, compared with 12 seats from Democrats. To gain control of the chamber, Democrats need to flip a net three seats if Biden wins or four if he loses. The Republican-held Senate has strengthened the tragedy of a Trump presidency. So not only have they confirmed a flood of his judicial appointments and cast away like a ton of legislation passed by Democrats, these are also the same senators that acquitted this corrupt president when the House impeached him. So clearly they ain't shit. They mamas ain't shit. They daddies ain't shit. And their kids ain't going to be shit. But I ain't want to gossip. So you ain't heard it from me. (laughs) So the critical 2020 Senate races include Alabama, Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, the regular election and the special election, Iowa, Maine, Michigan, Montana, North Carolina and Texas. Texas, where I live, we trying to turn this motherfucker purple. We want to flip it to blue, but you know, we got to start at purple. It's kind of hard. Texas has been riding Republican dig since 1980 when Reagan, sorry ass, was elected to office. <laughs> the cities in Texas are always blue, but the rural areas and small towns are the ones that are red. And Texas is a huge uh, state. So, there's tons of red. So, if you listen to us and you are from Texas, get out and vote, definitely. If you are from Alabama, Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, the regular election and the special election, Iowa, Maine, Michigan, Montana, North Carolina, and Texas, get out and vote. Early voting ends Friday, aka tomorrow, when polling places close. Also, election will resume on November the 3rd, Tuesday. Election Day. Make sure you go with a group. You can go by yourself, but it's fun if you go with the group just in case you're going to be in line, have somebody to talk to, take some water, take you some snacks, even take you a seat just in case you have to sit down or stand in line for a minute. Take your seat. Also, if you are trans whose transness is a little bit more visible, if you are non-binary or queer and groups of Non-community members may give you anxiety. Going with a group of your own community actually can relieve that anxiety and make you feel a little bit safer in those public situations. So that's why groups are important. That's why during election times it's good to organize, like going to vote on specific days with your community, so that you can have the support of community while you're there voting, and y'all can be in line turned up. So yes, what else? that's about it take your ass out and vote and that's trans 101 2020 election edition bam why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. please. Do I have to play Sir McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So I wanted to talk to Harmony about it because Harmony... Has just a a, just a fresh take because within the community, this film is looked at as transphobic and homophobic representation in media. But what are some of your takes on it?
1: Um, Well, as far as like trans representation in horror films go, this one is definitely one of like the big three of like oh well, there's the you know man in the dress killer trans person trope. That's the big
0: three. So dress to kill.
1: Uh, Dressed to Kill is like kind of number four, or at least I look at it at number four because I think of Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, and then Sleep Away at Camp.
0: Yeah, Psycho, because Norman Bates is dressed up as his mother. Yes, Uh and
1: that started that trope, and Psycho is actually usually regarded as the first slasher film. Right. It would get popularized later in like 1974 with Black Christmas, and then even more and more with Halloween a few years later, but... Psychos like where it starts, mm-hmm. and so Sleepaway Camp is definitely like up there as far as like uh, the the altar of problematic trans horror films go. But you actually and-
0: see the body, and it actually, and that it is, and that's what a good thing that I think that you pointed out. You don't, you don't even. They didn't even need to give you an ending of what happened to the killer. The ending is the shock of seeing. Yeah revealing that she is trans. Mm, I don't even wanna, sometimes I don't, I'm not comfortable calling her trans, but, that, but I guess so. Um, but that image of her standing nude and revealing that she actually was the boy and raised as the girl, that, all, that is the end of the film. You don't even get to see them punish her. You don't see them get to do anything to her. It was just, oh my God, this is a boy.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's no resolution because the whole point of it was, you know, hor- horror wants to get to get a response out of you. So it either wants to make you uncomfortable, or shock you, or scare you. And this movie's trying to do that by gay panic. That's the payoff of the entire film. And I do consider Angela trans because canonically she transitions in the later Sleepaway Camp films. Because mm. between the first one and the second one, she gets committed and ends up transitioning and ends up working at a new summer camp. And she's played by Pamela Springfield, who is actually Bruce Springfield's sister.
0: Oh. And
1: as far as the greater canon of uh, the Sleepaway Camp series goes, I'm not really a big fan of the later ones. I think the first one functions at least how I like to see it by itself. And then everything that I really like to defend about this movie is stripped away for the sake of like, being more fun and creating a franchise. Yeah,
0: I think I watched one, I mean, I think I watched two and three and I didn't really finish them because they were boring to me.
1: Yeah, they're a lot sillier.
0: Yeah, very, a lot sillier. So this one for me, I want to talk about when I was younger um, and how I am, I was born in 81. So this came out in 83, so I was two. And when it came out and I just remember it being in our home and my mother would get like um, library, um, with our library card, she would just go rent movies. And sometimes she wouldn't take them back. And you know, it'll just be, and this was one of the ones yeah. that was in my house. It was two movies that just really um, set the stage for, to me, <laughs> set the stage for me um, when I was younger that I remember having in the house. And it was Sparkle. Sparkle is with Iris <laughs> Cara. Uh, have you ever seen Sparkle? Yes, <laughs> Irene Cara. It was Sparkle. My mother would. Uh, I, she would see me if, if, if my mother, if there was some company in the house, she would be like, "Oh, come here, baby. Do Sparkle, giving them something you can feel." And I would put <laughs> my head wrap on and, or my shirt and <laughs> my shirt, and I would give them something. <laughs> and my mother would <laughs> would surely laugh and get entertained by it. But the other one, and so I remember, I vividly remember that one as a kid, but I vividly remember Sleepaway Camp. That ending part with Angela, it was like, it was supposed to be scary to me, but it was something that my child, my inner trans child self related to. It was something about it that was like. Oh, my God, this is something I didn't have. Of course, I didn't have the language of transness and transgender. Of and course. Things, but I didn't have any of that at the time. But at six, five, six, seven, when I was able to watch it and understand what was going on, there was something about number one. I was just getting started to get bullied at school. So I started to relate to Angela in that sense of being bullied and being quiet, because this was a time that I learned that my mannerisms and voice being feminine would clock people would clock it and and Uh really that's what the when the bullying would start so that was a part of angela that i related to but then the fact that she was she looked like a girl and she had a penis and i was like oh my god like i wish that was me i wish that i was angela not to be a killer but i wish that was me like i wish that it just was a relatability that I had. I wouldn't say, I definitely didn't have the language of transness. So my mind wasn't saying, oh, I'm a trans woman. It wasn't that. But her being this mixture of go- girl and boy is mm-hmm. something that I definitely related to. When did you get introduced to it?
1: I actually became aware of this film in high school because of a uh, robot chicken sketch. <laughs> So on Adult Swim there's Robot Chicken and it's like the claymation dolls and they just mostly make parodies of stuff. And they do a parody of Sleepaway Camp and the punchline in it is, oh my God, somebody remembered this movie enough to actually make a parody of it. That's what they say. That's the end of the joke basically. And I think, at least as far as I can tell, that moment is when a lot of people were like, wait, what's this movie then? Why, why does no one remember this movie? And a lot of people I knew became aware of it from that joke And so that's where I found it. And I saw it when I was probably like, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago or so, but it didn't really process fully until I saw it again and revisit it when it, I think it ended up on maybe Netflix, like probably seven or eight years ago. And then I went, oh, oh, I love this. This is exactly what I want because I really, really, as trans people i'm sure you can probably relate to this it's really difficult to see yourself in films cuz there's not a lot of great representation and for me most people will say that like oh the horror genre is is so damaging because it teaches people that they're they're scared of trans people and i really like even with all of its problems i really like the exploration of transness in horror films because fear is a complicated, very personal emotion and it can be processed a lot of different ways as opposed to like a drama where it's going to tell you exactly what it wants you to feel or like a comedy or where it's a punchline. Like right. other genres I think handle transness significantly worse than the horror genre does. And that is kind of why Sleepaway Camp, it, everything I read into about this film is completely backwards from how it's supposed to be done. Like. It's, most people say it's, uh, it's bad representation because, you know, she, it's a trans woman and she's killing people and it's bad. And I go, well, no, because she was forced to transition by her crazy Aunt Martha and she's not a monster. She was made to be a monster. And that's kind of how society looks at trans people. It's, it's more of a failing of societal pressures and the system rather than the trans person themselves. Mm-hmm. And a mm-hmm. lot of trans A lot of, uh, like, Dressed to Kill is another really good example from around this time where um, Michael Caine's character is, you know, conflicted about wanting to transition, but Michael Caine would have been, like, 46 years old or something in this period, so that meant this character would have been born in probably the 30s and has a lot of, like, internalized, uh, complicated feelings about, like, toxic masculinity and, like, gender and... The character is attracted to women, so now it's like a trans woman in 1980 who's attracted to women, and that creates a whole new mess of complications that aren't being explored. At so, all? No, not even remotely.
0: In 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 the time that we are in right now, we have people, we have we Googleable things, we have people discussing it on an intellectual level, we have people mm-hmm. discussing transness in a broad. Um, you know, more expansive way and explaining and, you know, exploring some of these concepts. But back in the 80s, 70s, 50s, da-da-da-da, people weren't, you know, we existed, but people weren't exploring it on a a major mainstream scale like we
1: are today. Not at all. Now, even since I came out, I came out as trans in 2009. So even since then, like, everything has changed. Like, we have more language now that we didn't have. Then, when I was trying to figure out what I was in, like, 2004 or so, I was Googling, like, um, men who like to dress as women, and when you Google that, you get porn. So, I didn't have the words of what I was trying to look for, and, you know, in five years, I kind of got an idea of where I was going from there, and then in five years since then, everything basically had changed again. So, we're constantly, like, getting more representation, there's more awareness, and the language is evolving and becoming more commonplace, which is really fascinating and really, really good. But I love that really, films like this that have a lot of issues, they're not problems in, they're not, the whole of them isn't a problem, but they're problematic because they have bad elements. But they're a really interesting look at exactly what society thought of trans people in that moment.
0: Right, right. And it was acceptable. It was, it was shocking. It was, I remember sitting in my mother, when I first watched it, my mother um, saying, what is going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what is going on? And how, even though that was, that's what was happening, my mother wasn't, um, I don't remember my mother being particularly, like, moved by me wanting to watch the film over and over and over and over. I don't uh-huh. remember her. Um it also, cause you talked about this on the article, just a side note, those dudes were sexy. <laughs> yes, they were.
1: There's the a, a there was a lot of cut off skin tight shorts and crop A lot of man.
0: <laughs> a lot of men. And then it, I remember having like like sex dreams and sex um arousal. I don't think I had learned to masturbate at that time. But I remember the dude who was, um, it wasn't the main, the main camper guy who always had the short shorts. It was another camper guy who was really tan as fuck. Like his name was Chino. And <laughs> him, I would have dreams about him. He was so tan and his, something about his face was so gorgeous. He looked at like a, um, like a Native American a little bit. And I was like, oh, he's uh-huh. so cute. And uh, I just remember having dreams about it. And, and I, it's kind of strange because shows like this, for me, also informed my sexuality when I was young. I remember um, having fantasies about being chased by a slasher, mm-hmm. in, in my in my um, in my fantasies. And I would be like, "Oh wow!" Like, and now that I'm looking back at it, I was like, "I got that from movies," because it was it was. It was being stalked and being chased and the arousal of that kind of situation. I remember um, having those be my first role play when I would be aroused when I was younger. And so Uh I would see that and I remember that about the film. So she didn't know that that's what I was interested in, too, about the boys. (laughs) But also just the fact that Angela at the end was like, oh, my God, like Angela, like you, I really relate to her and the bullying and all that stuff. Tell me about, there was something in your article that talked about the pan, the, um, the trans panic defense, the gay defense, like, and you, you mentioned how like this really kind of really highlights how the culture was very, they, they're hiding among us. Desca- describe that a little bit.
1: Yes. So with movies like this, um, the, 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 the killer is always like someone who's sort of stealth or not easily tracked because, I mean, that ruins the suspense of the movie. So it makes sense from like a logistic standpoint. But there is always this. Uh, for a lot of horror, most of it is a lot of your really big stuff is created by gay men like so much about horror is an extremely queer genre and so there's um there was a thing called the Hayes code that existed up until the 70s yeah basically from the dawn of film until the 70s where it was like you have to uphold uh good american values villains can't be sympathetic and you can't can't show violence and that's where you get your your leave it to beaver kind of really sanitized watered down media so because of that you then had to have coding. And so a lot of early queer films are extremely coded and they're very smart in how they like embed uh, trans and queer themes into their stories. One that I really like from that era is um, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, which was a hammer film from the seventies when the Hays Code was just starting to get like torn down and so you were allowed to get away with a little bit more and then the 70s just went bananas and the 80s just piled on more and films got like ludicrous but um you have it's a retelling of dr jekyll and mr hyde which i have always read as an extremely uh queer film to begin with because the whole point of it is that not that uh in the original story dr jekyll is not trying to hide, like, an evil monstrous side in such literal terms. He's trying to hide uh, an aspect of himself through his potion that would be deemed too, too gaudy and too uh, grotesque and unpleasant for, like, stuffy Victorian England culture, which to me reads very gay. Like, he's clearly, like, a closeted gay man. So in Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, you have a film where now he is trying to create, like, essentially like uh, the cure to like a common cold or the flu or something. He's trying to undo disease, but he does not have the time in his life to actually do it because he says, oh, it'll take a hundred years of work before we ever have this, this essentially vaccine perfected. And so then he changes his work to try and um, to then try and harvest the feminine, the feminine gene that lets women live longer than men, which is usually just like, poor choices (laughs) but like genetically he thinks that there's like oh if I can harvest that and utilize it I can create like a life potion and it'll help me live longer and I can continue my work and in doing so by harvesting female hormones from like recent cadavers at the morgue he transitions he drinks a potion that turns him into a woman and it becomes this very secretive like now he has a split personality thing And he seems to desperately want to live this life for a lot of reasons, but there's a lot of implications that it is, that he knows it's wrong because it would have been like the late 1800s. But the character of Sister Hyde, you know, the Mr. Hyde of this movie, you then have her wanting to carry on this work because she just wants to be free and survive. So she's killing people to harvest, you know, the, the estrogen from these movies. And it ends up becoming like a tie in with Jack the Ripper sort of thing of killing sex workers in the streets of London. Right. But she wants to do that to survive. And I really love this as a narrative trope because it exists as um, character motivation is rooted in, one of two things, you know, it's that someone wants to do something or they feel like they have to do something. And for trans characters, most of the time it's they feel like they have to do something in order to do the thing that they want. And that manifests in a lot of different ways, like for um, Let the Right One In or a more recent movie called Bit, they are, you know, trans vampires. So they need to kill in order to like survive because they're vampires. Like, there's so many interesting things about this narrative of trans women existing in secretive because it's, you're not allowed to be out. You have to do whatever it takes in order to survive and that exists within this genre. That is just so, I I don't know if exciting is the word but it's just really satisfying to see because that to me just feels like the trans experience.
0: Especially during the time, especially during the time. Because until maybe you know 20 years, maybe just being open about your transness, it you just couldn't do it. Like, it, being stealth was the way that, um, you know, was the standard of care. Just say you, yes, you, you, you don't talk about it, you just move, you, you live this way, and don't t- just start a whole new life. That literally was the, the medical standard of care, and so yes. it is only. Fitting when we talk about how art reflects life, it is only fitting that this is how we show up in <laughs> in uh, mainstream culture.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 a complicated issue because you know since fear and horror and just everything is incredibly suggest-, suggest subjective, it's very difficult to have nuanced conversations sometimes with this because. Uh, a lot. There's a lot of reactions to your your gut instinct because you're uncomfortable with something, and that makes sense. So then you have, you know, your standard cis mover goer who is uncomfortable because oh, this is queer and I don't understand it, or I'm told that I'm not supposed to like this and I'm uncomfortable because of that, or you have um, some trans people who say and you know they immediately have the gut re- instinct of oh, this is bad representation and this isn't what I'm like and I'm uncomfortable with it. So it's sort of being turned into a monster from both sides. And I, I can't say either's wrong. Like that's perfectly reasonable that everyone's gonna have these feelings, but we can, we can dive deeper. And that's something that's really interesting about film study and just understanding the culture as, as a whole is getting there and finding good pieces to bad movies.
0: One of the good pieces that I think that you point out really brilliantly is about how trying to fo- the trauma is forcing this person into something that is not naturally them. Yes. And 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 for us as a trans person, what we are trying to tell the world is you're trying to force me into something that's not me. And mm-hmm. that can traumatize me. And that trauma can lead to so many different type of things. It can lead to my drug addiction. You know, the movie is gonna take it to the extreme, turn into black well, yeah. da-da-da, because da, it's a slack. More exciting. Yeah. But on a on a really um on a on a real world scale, it can lead to drug addiction, it can lead to sui- suicidal ideations, it can lead to so many things for trans people in their lives. And I think that the way you pointed it out in Angela's story was brilliant. Explain it a little bit more.
1: Well, thank you. Um, a thing that, it, it, this comes down to the, the idea of going stealth and existing not as a trans person, but as, you know, a secret cis person trying to exist amongst your, your general public. And that is sort of this queer fantasy of assimilation, where in order to be accepted by mainstream culture, you need to blend in with the very sanitized, very straight, very white mainstream culture. And it forces people to be something that they're not. And it manifests in a lot of different ways. The narrative I see with a lot of people, in regards to just any kind of LGBTQ plus person in general is they always say as an argument, we're just like you. And I don't know that I agree with that because we're not, and it's not our fault because we have a lot of, uh, a lot of internalized like esteem problems. We have a lot of like addiction problems, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, depression, like all of these problems that are not directly related to our queerness or our gender issues, it's the issues of how people will perceive us because of those. Right. This is the society that we live in failing us as a whole, not so much us having issues with this in of itself. This right. is not, oh, hey, depression is a result of transness. It's no, depression is a result of people being shitty about your transness.
0: Right, it's, it's what like psychologists call minority stress. It's like the theory that talks about health disparities that come from, that are amongst minorities, that come from stressors induced by the larger society, by the dominant culture, which can yeah. lead to problems, lead to discrimination, leads to victimization, leads to harassment, leads to maltreatment. When we talk about particularly trans folks, it can the stigma around transness can cause us to you you know it can cause all the things that you just named. higher numbers in um, drug abuse, higher numbers in alcohol abuse, higher numbers in HIV and AIDS, higher number in um, leading to um, sex work, higher numbers to any type of like mental distress or um, and the the issues, the those stressors are what exacerbates. It's not like it's inherently in us because we're trans. It is the issue that we are constantly bumping up against a larger culture that says that we should not exist, that you are disgusting, you are this deviant. Bumping up against that system can have adverse effects.
1: Yes, exactly. And tying that back to Sleepaway Camp, that is something that exists in the background of this movie. The- you know queer and trans panic that exists in this film it's the early 80s like this is like the start of like the AIDS pandemic that would ravage the whole decade so public opinion of queer people is particularly bad during this era mm-hmm. and angela is also having to deal with you know obviously not that but that's something that you know is sort of like that's the mindset of the filmmakers trying to approach this for the movie going thing of like oh this is the fear we're trying to tap into this is you know, what we're paralleling with this story. Mm-hmm. For her, she also is having to deal with her sexuality now as like a 13-year-old girl who is physically a boy but is told that you're not a boy. And then that's, you know, creating this complex thing around maybe like like erections or sexual urges because Angela, that, that's alluded to in this movie where she has a flashback to her father and his partner Lenny who you see um, on the beach in the beginning of the film during the boating accident. They seem like a very happy couple, and she has this sort of what would be, like, male-for-male gay thoughts, and that now is colliding with her own gender and how people see her. So she's being told, like, you're a woman, but you don't feel like a woman, but maybe you're a woman, but you have urges like a boy, but you don't. people don't see you as a boy, but you want to be a boy who likes boys, and it just creates this giant complex thing that now is lashing out at this poor kid Paul just because she's now not able to deal with this emotionally because like kids don't have any kind of counseling to deal with this like personally and because she's mad at him because Judy kissed him. And even if you think about even before that, when we think about this new, uh, this
0: new way we are thinking about boundaries, like men and the boundaries that they take um, in regards to um, consent, and when, when to kiss, you know, in movies, romantic comedies, or not, not just comedies, but any kind of romantic movie, a dude, yes. remember that classic picture of um, the, the guy bending the girl over, the, the sailor. The sailor, his, yeah. Kissing, and it really, the, and she was like, I re, the, real, the real woman was like, I really didn't know him, he just grabbed me and kissed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so how inappropriate that can be. And in this movie, it shows, um, what's his name? um Paul, Paul the, the nice kid I, yes I, Paul actually kissing her kissing her almost like without her permission just kind of hitting her with it like mm, going in and kissing her yeah. and then doing it again and in my mind when i think about like the me too movement and i think about like we're in a we're in a place in our culture where we're teaching men that don't um don't do that like you need to ask for consent before you get to kissing people get to touching people get to any kind of stuff like that you need to we're in a different culture but back then that was kind of the norm and in that moment i remember how she was acting when it alluded to like is she having a physical response she is a 13 year old person and he's kissing her and she does like him so she's like but she's kind of shy and she was like okay we got to stop and i gotta go do something it does allude to how is she physically and, and maybe not when i um when I watched it the first time, when I didn't know the reveal, but definitely when I know the reveal, I was like, oh, she's probably having a physical response to him mm-hmm. kissing her.
1: Yeah, and it's it goes into the sort of like we walk among you stealth thing we were talking about earlier, yeah. where it's she now is being having to grapple with like this instant moment she didn't consider for of, oh my God, he might find me out. Yeah. And that is that is, that is a scary thought if you... If if you're put in a situation where it's like, oh no, I don't know how this person's gonna react to this aspect of me and I have nowhere to run. I'm kind of trapped here. Right. So it was in that moment, it could also be read as like a fight or flight or freeze thing, and she froze the whole movie and she had nowhere to run because like you're stuck at camp if nothing else, so you're gonna have to see him. So yeah. she fought and then he got his head cut off.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> to close out the conversation i wanted to ask you if you were the director and we were going to remake this ah, (laughs) (laughs) is there a way to remake this and it not be problematic
1: See, I've actually had this conversation with a lot of people. Because of the article and because of my very vocal stance on this movie, anytime anybody has a question about this or any kind of trans representation in horror films specifically, but in general, they always go, "Uh, Harmony, I I have a question and I don't know how to feel about it. Is it okay for me to feel this way? So they come to me all the time. And one question that gets asked all the time is, is it possible to have a trans killer and not have it be inherently problematic? And I say, yes, but they have to be justified. The whole motivation Angela has in this movie is that she lashes out at kids because they are mean to her. That's justified to me. (laughs) Yes, but it's very subtle and a lot of people don't pick up on that. Like she butchers uh, some kids in sleeping bags in in the woods. Yeah, I had someone message me, like, hard. that seemed really inappropriate because they didn't do anything. I'm like, oh, they did, though. They laughed at her and threw sand at, uh, at her when she was thrown into the water because she is terrified of the water because of a boating accident and because now, like, who knows? That could not be thin cloth. Someone might see something. So she's dealing with two fears at once. So she lashed out these small children. I and forgot
0: about that. They did throw the sand on her. They did. exactly.
1: So – I think you can do it and have it be justified, but it's complicated and you have to walk a really, really fine line with it. Um, Like I was mentioning earlier about vampire trans films, they have to kill to survive. And in a way, I kind of think that that's very appropriate for something like this. You have, um, it's almost like a revenge film where, oh, you were treated like shit, so you're gonna get revenge because of this. And you could absolutely remake Sleepaway Camp but the difficulty would be framing her, you know, Angela, as the villain or not. The whole point of it is that it's a twist. She's been the villain, quote unquote, the whole time. And she's not because she's totally justified in what she's doing. Maybe not to like that extreme. Like you get bullied, you don't need to go ahead and murder a guy with bees or shoot an <laughs> arrow through someone's neck. But it
0: was I, it, you said that that was your favorite killing.
1: The bee one. Oh, my God. The bees? That's because he's he locked in a bathroom stall, so he just gets murdered by bees, and it's really random, but it's like, hey, you're in the woods. use your environment. It's perfect. I like it when they use the gimmick.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like that too.
1: I like that too. But for something like this, you could, but it would have to entirely restructure the film, so then it would, not, uh, it would no longer be a traditional, like, twist-based slasher film. It would be more of a trans-based revenge film. So you would have to know that Angela is trans from the start, which means I don't know how you would have a resolution at the end is the problem because the original sleepaway camp doesn't really have a proper ending. It's just like, Oh, she's trans freeze frame on her face credits roll. So what do you do then you, she murders all these people. She's like seemingly justified in it, but what happens then does she just go walk off into the woods and happily ever after to live with the squirrels does she get arrested does she get killed that creates a whole new complex series of questions on what do you do with now needing a new ending so i think you could but it would take some serious restructuring of the film
0: Mm, yeah i was like no i was if if i was to answer the question i would say no you can't make it without it being problematic there is, good, uh-huh. just because she is the killer, some trans people are going to say, uh-uh, that's bad representation. Yes. Just because um, the reveal, because I, I guess if I was to remake it, I would not take away that ending. I think the uh-huh. ending was the twist. That's the end. I think that's what made it cool for me as a kid. That's what made it cool. Uh-huh. Um, it might be problematic, but I'm like, uh uh-uh. It's a slasher film. Yeah, exactly.
1: And the trans community is not like a monolith. We don't function as a hive mind. So obviously there's always going to be differing opinions. Like um, the movie I brought up a couple times uh, in our talk here is a movie called Bit. And it came out, I saw it last year as like an early release, but it actually came out officially this year. And it is one of my absolute favorite films in a long time because it is queer, it criticizes toxic masculinity, it's intersectional, it has a trans lead, it does all of these things super duper right, and I was so excited for people to see it and talk about it, and I heard trans people complaining, going, oh, well, they don't even talk that she's trans. They say it, and then they move on, and it's not a big deal, and I guess I just wanted more of a trans story, and I'm like, what do you want here? I don't know how to please you. They did everything right because
0: like, right. if, if they would have focused on her trans, then somebody was like, oh, it's too trans-focused. It's too, th-. yes. I, I, I exactly. really hate that. I really, really hate that. I hate that in certain circumstances where it's like, you can't please every, you're not gonna be able to please everybody. Um, no. Yeah, you're just not going to. And that's what, that's, that's what I, that's what, if I redid the film, I would explore some of the nuances of each one of the, um, the characters, like each mm-hmm. one of the people that she, um, I would rewrite and re, make it a little bit more realistic. Like the yeah. pedophile guy, I would write, I, he would still exist and how he'd get killed, blah, blah, blah. blah. But I would nuance that storyline a little bit more to make it more relevant so we can catch it. Mm-hmm. So we to sh- point out how these people play games, maybe, put something on how he lured her into the back room, how a little bit more detail on how predators work in regard to that. When we talk about um, nuance Judy a little bit, I would want her to have some type of um, a little bit more nuance. Even at the end, I would have, I know I would do this if I was to remake it. I would have it be revealed to um, Paul first. Like I would have wow. before, I would want to know how the head got cut off. How did we get to that point? <laughs> how did we get to yes, Paul? Follow me to this area, and let's talk. How did it get to? Did her transness get revealed before? Like I would, I would, I would explore that. I would explore um, how it was revealed to Paul. <laughs> I would, I would nuance that a little bit more. Um, but I would leave them in the same because, uh-huh. you know, that's a classic. It's it's just a fucking classic. It's classic. It's, um, it's an iconic moment. It's the iconic moment. It's something that is burnt in my memory. Um, and I wasn't turned off by it. I was like, Oh, now politically, I'm like, Oh, I can see what, like, just what you were just describing, um, where it fit in the narrative of, you know, where we were in our particular time in the early 80s. Because I remember 50s, 60s, there used to be commercials and infomercials about homo- the, the predator homosexual trying to, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And so coming from that 20 to 30 years later in the 80s, they're like, you know, I can see it takes time. We just got to the point where we are, um we, we don't came from that representation of transness to now we're arguing, oh, don't let cis people play trans people. That's how, yes. how we have come.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and I'm like so excited because we're, we're really getting there. Um, just this week, they uh, I think it might have been last week, I have no concept of time anymore, but they released oh, the me. trailer for the new craft movie. Uh, it's gonna be, uh, I guess, a loose sequel to the one from the 90s, and they have a trans character, and it looks super intersectional, and I'm really excited for it. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're getting step by step. You know, the revolution wasn't built in a day as far as changing public opinion goes, you know?
0: Mm. Well, Harmony, I want to thank you for joining me. Um, this, was, uh, this was kind of um, a self-indulgent conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, oh, I had fun, to, too. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about um, Blackness and transness and politics all the time on the show, and this was just a fun topic that I wanted to explore, and I'm so glad that I was able to explore with you. So thank you for joining me.
1: Well, thank you so much. I will never pass up an opportunity to talk about this topic specifically for Sleepaway Camp, so this was a treat, too.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to put... Um, Harmony's information in the box. Tell them where um, they can find you.
1: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Velasa underscore trap underscore tour. So Velasa Traptor. I also host a podcast with my wife where she shows me all of the teen girl movies that she watched growing up that I did not watch uh, at all because I was, you know, I was raised to be a little boy. And uh, we see how they hold up and we get into a lot of discussions about womanhood and, you know, gender politicking and gender expectations on those. And it's very fun. And uh, occasionally I write uh, stuff on Medium so you can find me there if I put something up. I I might be working on something for October because it's the season on this very topic. So we'll see if I can get my get my shit together and get that out.
0: (laughs) And I will put all her links in the bottom. Make sure you all go check her out. She's amazing. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. (laughs) Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all.
1: And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We'll be posting exclusive content every Thursday so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at DiamondStyles at gmail.com.
0: That's DiamondStyLZ at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You gonna say bye, Mia? Oh,
1: bye, oh. y'all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's gonna be all right. be all right. Oh, don't you worry about a thing. Little 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 thing. Little